we begin this new series during Lent, this uh, Jesus run, if you will, uh, I'm excited for tonight. My name is Mark Brandt. I'm on staff in our online ministry department, which means I get paid to be on the internet. It's not a bad gig, really, to be truthful. Uh, but more so than anything, I'm reaching out to a world online that is hungry for a different story. And that's why I think tonight's message really resonated with me and why I'm so excited to be a part of it, because this is truly one of the reasons why I joined Hope staff almost 19 years ago now, was because uh, of this idea that we're after people. We, we absolutely, without abandon, want people to know who Jesus is. And because of that, we're trying all kinds of new and innovative ways to do that, because we're never content with this idea that we're okay. That everybody that needs to be here is already here. Because immediately, right away in the beginning of the gospel, Jesus in Matthew 4, the passage that was read tonight, talks about this idea. No, back it up, please. Um, This idea of fishing for people. Looking for the people out there that matter to God and so they must matter to us. This is the first call to evangelism. This idea, which unfortunately has been... um, taken by, you know, politicizing folks to say, you know, the evangelicals and it means a certain thing. But in the, in the scriptures and in the Bible, what it means is really to proclaim the gospel and to spread the good news. That's truly what evangelism is. And that should be at the heart of who we are as God's people. But this idea to, to fish for people is such an, an interesting concept, and I, I want to I tell you why Jesus chose that in just a moment. But it, are any of you in here avid fishermen? Okay, good. I'm in great company. There's a few of you that are. I'm not. Uh, but I was so excited when I was uh, young, just out of college, I was working in a church in North Iowa, and I got invited with a bunch, or not a bunch, there's three other guys that were going on this Boundary Waters fishing trip. And I'd been to the Boundary Waters once before, but it was more canoeing and less fishing. This was going to be less canoeing and more fishing, which I was all in for. And we got there, and I was super excited. Day one, I was going out. We would divide up into into two canoes, two of us in each canoe. And I was going out with this old retired pastor whose name was Ole Winter. You can't make this stuff up. And I was really, really excited because I didn't grow up in a fishing family. And so I was just super thrilled to learn this idea of fishing, what it really meant to fish. And so Oli, up there, where we were, we were fishing for smallmouth bass, which you don't need to know that for this story, other than the the lure we were using, the jig we were using was a quarter ounce uh, jig. And I had to learn how to tie it onto my fishing line. And so he showed me this particular way to do so. And I was super excited. I was watching, following along, and I thought that I tied it well. And I was ready for my first cast. And I really wanted to impress this gentleman, this wonderful teacher of mine, with my fishing acumen. And so I stood up in the boat, and I reared back, and I casted as best I could. I was shooting for the shoreline, because those rocks up on the shoreline is where all the fish were hiding. But as I cast it off, the line sort of kind of went limp and dangled down, and the lure just kept going. And not only did it keep going, it it surpassed the shore and started to crackle through the trees on the shoreline. And I was stuck at full extension like this in the boat, watching this happen. And Oli looked over at me and goes, you want to try that again? I go, yes, I do, Oli. I'm so sorry. I didn't listen well because I was 22 and thought I knew better and thought I knew how to tie a lure better than he did. And 
So I sat back down again and he showed me, now Mark, let's, let's double check this. Let's make sure that you're really doing this, this well. Because if you truly want to fish, you need to know the basics and how to do this. Jesus was calling us to fish, to look for a catch. And that means that there's something out there to be caught. There's something worthy of our lure. There's something worthy of reaching out for. And that's because there are people all around us that need to know this good news. But who is it that Jesus chose to begin this Jesus run, if you will, this evangelistic call to bring the world into a knowledge of who he was? He starts with these two brothers, Simon and Peter. Simon Peter and this one called Andrew. And this boat, this is kind of a picture of the one that they found in the Sea of Galilee as the shoreline was kind of, um, the water was receding a bit in a dry season. They found this old fishing boat in the, the muck. And they pulled it out and the, the archaeologists saved it and they carbon dated it to about the first century, which is pretty amazing. This could have been a boat that the early fishermen, including Simon and Andrew, could have been on. This is a big deal. But he goes to these, these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee and he's walking along and you have to understand something about Jesus before we go any further. He did nothing by accident. Everything, all of Jesus' ministry was with purpose. Were there chance encounters that people had with him? Absolutely. But Jesus set out in his ministry to encounter people and so this first story in Matthew's gospel where he meets up with Simon and Andrew is not by chance, it's totally by choice. Because Jesus had a better calling for them. And so he walks up to them and they're throwing their nets out into the water to catch fish because this was what they did for a living. So let's understand a bit more of how one becomes a fisherman in first century Christendom. It's not like now. It's not like there's a fishing college you would go to and learn how to be a fisherman. This was something you learned because it was your family trade. But even more so than that, you would fall into fishing in this particular time, if this truly, if there was nothing else that you could have done. But there was a desire that most young kids had at this time. Because up until age 12, they would go to rabbinical school where they would learn the texts. They would read the Old Testament, the pieces that their, um, that their tabernacle would have on hand. And they would memorize these texts. This is what they would do for school. And at about age 12, the rabbi of that particular temple would select the best of the best to be a student of the rabbi, a disciple, if you will. And if you can imagine, if you've ever been not picked for something before, there were several that obviously wouldn't be picked. The rabbi would truly be looking for the best of the best among those students. So here's something we can come to understand about Simon and Andrew. They didn't make the cut. They weren't the best of the best. They weren't the top students in their class. It doesn't mean that they didn't know the stories or they weren't great scriptural scholars. They just didn't measure up to whatever standard the rabbi had for that particular time. And if you think families are crazy now about their kids getting on the right teams or in the right plays or in the right groups, and honor at this time in first century Christendom was for your child to be chosen by the rabbi. They would go and they would live at the tabernacle. They would continually study the scripture. This was a big, big deal. Simon and Andrew didn't make it. And so they fell back on what it was 
that their family did. They're fishermen. And this was an honorable trade. They were providing a much-needed service for the community around them. But as with all things, some seasons were better than others. And at this particular time, they were casting their nets. Along comes this man, Jesus, whom we know that they've heard a bit about, this idea of a Savior, a Messiah, the one that is to come, because it's riddled all through the Old Testament in Isaiah and other places. So along comes this man, Jesus, and he looks at them. And he says, hey, I want you to drop your nets and come and follow me, and I'm going to teach you to be fishers of people. And the Bible says that they dropped their nets at once and followed him. What was it about Jesus that caused them to abandon their family trade and follow this one that had come along, this guy, this man, Jesus? Could it be because he was offering a bigger story to them than the one that they were living? And not that fishing wasn't an honorable trade, but imagine this. The Messiah comes along and offers you a chance to follow him as rabbi. You weren't the best of the best, but now the one that was, is, and always will be says, hey, come follow me. I would hope that I would have had the same courage that they had to drop my net and follow Jesus. And we don't know whether or not there was a delay, like, what do you think, Andrew? And his sandals look a little dirty, I don't know. He's been walking a long time, his feet really aren't clean. What do you think? Oh, Jesus, you know, do you have... Do you have some references we can check? And if we're going to give up our livelihood here, we want to know that it's for something big. We're not just going to drop this because you're like, hey, come follow me. We're going to go fish for people. That's great. No. They sensed something in Jesus. Why? Because there's a compelling story that God has for us. A new way to go, if you will. If you back up in verse 17 in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preaching and he says this. He says, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom is near. Repent and turn, these two words that I think are fascinating. He's challenging the people of God to turn to a new way of doing things. Repent and turn. But we have to understand about that, this new way to go, to repent. The people of God at the time thought that the only way to repent was to go to the temple to bring a sacrifice, to offer it, and hopefully your sacrifice was good enough. Jesus was talking about a new way to do things. Repent and turn. You don't have to go to the temple and, and give an offering. I'm right here standing before you. Repent of your sins. Turn back to God and follow me. For the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not this distant concept. It is right here in front of you right now. The way that they were following was a way that was just riddled with all kinds of rules and order and structure made to feel like you didn't measure up. And they'd already spent a great deal of their life understanding that very idea. We didn't measure up at rabbinical school, so we're out here where our hands perpetually smell like dead, rotting fish. But now we get to turn and follow Jesus? Why not? Let's go. Repent, then follow. I love how we, we, take, we get this image of them, and I, maybe they were 30 feet offshore, maybe they were 50 feet offshore. Did they, did they row the boat in? 
Or if you can imagine just for a moment, what if they just left the boat there? Said, all right, we're done. The Bible isn't very clear on how they chose to follow Jesus. It just says they dropped their nets and followed him. I would hope that they were responsible enough to bring the boat into shore. But can you imagine if they're not very far offshore, jumping out of the boat, swimming, or maybe it's not deep enough, running in, if you will, to meet up with this rabbi, this teacher, this wonderful man to follow him. When was the last time you dropped everything to follow something like that? When we were kids and you played follow the leader, I think that was a pretty easy concept because you wanted to follow. In fact, if you've ever been around VBS before, one of the fascinating things that I see around here is with our little kid classes. We desperately don't want to lose any of the kids, but them especially, and so we offered them a rope. And this rope is one that they'll grab onto and they'll walk like this together, following the person in front of them so that they don't lose track of where they need to go. That's truly what a disciple is, is someone who follows a teacher, someone who follows the way of someone else. And the people of God at this time in first century Christendom were desperate for a new way of being because the oppression that was so prevalent through the Roman occupation in Israel was causing them to wonder if this promise was ever going to come true, if this one who was promised to them so long ago would ever actually show up. Well, here he comes. Here comes Jesus. And in the wonderful way that Jesus has, he chooses to use an analogy that Simon and Andrew would understand. Come and follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. They didn't even necessarily know what that meant. They just were so enthralled by the idea that the Savior of the world, which they would come to understand that as they went along, was asking them to be on the team. That's a huge deal. And that's the same invitation that we're resting in today that we're going to wrestle with a bit as we continue through this message. Because here is the whole point of why Jesus was choosing these two in particular. Because he wanted to definitely show to the world that you didn't have to measure up to a certain sort of a standard. You didn't have to be in the upper echelon of the religious elites to be on the team and to be used by God. That should give us comfort today, especially for somebody like me who I claim to be mostly an idiot all the time. That God would choose people like me and you to go out and fish for people is awesome and huge. Why? Because here's the core value that is at the center of why I chose to be on staff here at Hope. Lost people matter to God, so they must matter to us. Lost people matter to God, and so they must matter to us. When people will ask me often, and I've said this before, and if you're new to Hope, uh, this will be something that I think you can resonate with, I hope. I mean, some people will say, well, isn't Hope already big enough? I mean, we've got a lot of people around here. Whenever I tell people what our membership is, they're like, whoa, that's impressive. I'm like, eh, yeah. Everybody in Des Moines is not a part of a church yet. So we've still got work to do. Lost people matter to God, and so they must matter to us. Luke 15, it's a gospel chapter um, that is devoted to this very idea. Jesus not only told one story, but he told three stories about how important and what it meant for lost people to matter. The lost coin the lost son, and the lost sheep. Not in that order. 
Jesus starts off and he talks about this lost coin. A woman loses a coin in her house and so she turns over the entire house until she finds that one coin because it was precious to her. There's a story where a shepherd is out and he's got 100 sheep and one of them wanders off and so he leaves the 99, that lyric that was in that song we sung this morning or this, just this evening, left the 99 to go and find that one because that one mattered. You might say, well, gosh, we still have 99. That's pretty good, right? 99%. There are a lot of students in here for like midterms or for finals would love a 99. But Jesus is saying, no, 100 is what I'm shooting for. So I'm going to leave the 99 and go for that one because that one matters to me. And he rounds it all off with the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. The one who, if you don't know the story, goes to his father and there were two sons. He was the youngest, but they were both going to get an inheritance. And he decides that he knows how to live better. And so he asks his father for his portion of the inheritance so that he can go off and live his life. And the father, being a good and loving father as he was, did that, knowing full well that this younger son probably wasn't going to be very good with his finances in that sense. And sure enough, this son finds himself destitute and crawls back, hoping that his father will just have pity on him and hire him on as a servant. Because once you got your inheritance in this culture, you were dead to your family. That's the only way to really truly get your inheritance is that somebody had to die. And so when he comes back and he's on that road going back home, the Bible says very clearly the father dropped everything and ran to his son because the lost son was now found. He had come home. Jesus was preaching this to a crowd so that they would understand how important it was to him to hang out with the people that he was hanging out with. Because most often when Jesus would go into a town and not too many chapters later in Luke 19, he would go into a town and encounter this man named Zacchaeus. When he would come to town, the religious elite and those who thought they were something, something would say, hey, Jesus, come and hang out with us. And it wasn't that he didn't want to spend time with them. Jesus was always in this I mindset of where are the people that need desperately most to know this message. Because lost people matter. So they must matter to us. Jesus was setting the example for us as a church. When I first started here in 1999, we were worshiping about 1,200 people on a weekend, which is really, really good for a Lutheran church. And I've been a part of this now for 19 years. I've watched that gradual growth of people inviting other people to come in to worship and inviting others. We don't really, we don't, we don't put a TV ad out. We don't put billboards up. We just, we hope we tell a compelling enough story and invite people into a compelling enough vision from God that the invitation happens because God stirs something in you. And that's what we've seen happen in so many ways around hope. People keep inviting because those lost people matter. And it's been growing and growing ever since. But it'd be really easy, like I said, for us to get to a point where like at the 9, 15, and 11 service, this room is typically filled up. To think, ah, oh, we're good now. The room is full. The lost people matter. 
So we need to re-envision it for ourselves again to think what is it that we need to do to reach out to this world around us so that we can continually be looking for those folks who are on the outside looking in. Who are the lost? Who is it that we're talking about in this? If we're truly gonna go out and fish for people, what do they look like? It's not like they're wearing a sign around that says, hey, pick me, I'm not a part of the team. But we're encountering them every day on a regular basis. They're the people that we see in the halls at work or at school or at the gymnasiums we're at on weekends with our kids or at barbecues with friends. They're the folks who don't know or maybe don't like God for a variety of reasons. It'd be kind of, I think in Western culture, maybe too much of an assumption to, to, to think that people haven't necessarily heard about God. There are some that have. Most often, they've chosen that God doesn't really resonate for them. And this doesn't just happen because they've never been to church. This can also happen because they leave the church. I can't tell you how many stories when hope was first growing, when people would start to come back and they'd say, well, we left the church around college and now we're coming back because our kids are growing up. There's a lot of folks that are lost because they've left for whatever reason. The church didn't resonate with them at the time. Or something happened and they said, well, that's just not for me anymore. Or, even more tragically, didn't show up one weekend. Then it became easier the next weekend not to show up. Well, now we haven't gone for a couple weeks. We can't go back. What are they going to think of us? And so that habit develops. You see where I'm going? There are a lot of folks out there that look like this but they don't always look like us either. Lost folks come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, you name it. They're all around us. We just need to open our eyes and see the way God sees rather than with our humanity very narrowly focused. This is a big deal. It's the biggest of deals. The church can't turn into a clubhouse, friends. It can't turn into a place where there's a certain set of guidelines we have to adhere to in order to be a part of it. I've seen too many churches that just feel that way, unfortunately, because the people have allowed it to get that way. It's this idea of, well, I've got my seat. And if I come in and somebody new is sitting in my seat, oh, 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 no, sirree. That can't happen. We want to always be open to this idea that God is, a constantly, is constantly at work in us so that we can constantly be at work for him. Because in truth, this idea of lost, just because we're here today doesn't mean that we're found. We just realized we didn't want to be lost anymore. We want to be on this team moving forward with Jesus, not perfect, but being perfectly loved by him. So that we can then invite the folks that don't know who God is or maybe don't like God or maybe have left the church or don't look like us to come and hear a bigger story. That's truly what it is that we get to do as people of God. We're inviting them to a bigger story. We're inviting them to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. That's what Jesus was doing with Simon and Andrew. They could have gone their entire lives fishing and been okay, but Jesus said, you know what? No, I want to invite you to a bigger story because I believe that God has something for you 
to do beyond just fishing. And that's the best part about what we get to do. We're not just inviting them to come and fill a chair here in West Des Moines or Waukee or one of our campuses. We're inviting them to be a part of a bigger story of which this is just one part. If you saw in the 360 and Andy talking about it, this idea of of partnering with Ruth Harbor to do this amazing thing where we can hopefully give them more space to expand. That's the bigger story we're talking about. And no matter whether it's $5, 5 cents, or 500, that part matters because it's a part of something bigger. That's the most beautiful thing about hope. And it doesn't even have to come like that. It, it can come in serving or, or just helping out in a variety of different ways. It's huge to be a part of this bigger story. Because I bet many of you sitting in here, if you've been around here even for just the smallest bit, have felt that maybe. Whoa, there's something different about this. There's something compelling about this. There's something so invitational about this. Wow, I want to be a part of that. Because that's actually my story. I didn't grow up in church. I went a few times as a kid, but it didn't take. I was there because they entertained me up until about age five. And then I left. I was one of those kids that just stopped showing up because my family didn't show up. And about eighth grade, I was kind of in that age where I felt a tugging in my own heart, like there's gotta be something more. Because junior high was absolutely terrible. I didn't like it. I mean, I was okay. I mean, it wasn't like it was like, oh, the world was falling around me. But being 13 and 14 years old is a struggle. I have two of them. I love them to death. They're great kids. And I actually have a kid who turned nine today. Happy birthday, Sethy. He's not asleep yet. He's laying down, but he's not asleep. That's good. We're going to Pizza Ranch after this, so he's like, Dad, let's go. But about that age, I felt there was a longing for something different. And I was riding home with my friend Chad and his car and with his mom, and I said, hey, what are you doing tonight? It was a Wednesday. So I'm going to confirmation class. Like, sweet, can I come? I didn't even know what that word meant. I just thought there was something going on. I wanted to be a part of it. So he was like, he kind of looked at me funny because at that time at Redeemer Lutheran in Indianola, there were 13 confirmation kids in our, in our grade. Now we have like 1,000. It's crazy around here. 13. Hadn't gotten a new member in quite some time. Are you sure you want to show up? I'm like, yeah, why not? So he came back and picked me up after dinner and we rode out to the church and walked in. And Pastor Gene looked over and he's like, oh, there's a new kid. This doesn't happen often. And he didn't say to me, you know what? You haven't been here. We've been doing this for a while. I mean, come on, why are you here now? He just looked at me and said, you know what? I'm glad you're here. I was hooked. That's all I needed. I needed somebody to look me in the face and say, I'm glad you're here. Because now I was a part of a bigger story. And then they said, hey, you should go check out Bible camp. It's like, whoa, whoa, slow your roll there. <laughs> I'm just here right now because I think, you, I think we're going to get along okay. But God started me on a path then because of that simple invitation. And now here we are. You don't think lost people matter to God? They do. 
And you never know when they get invited to this bigger story what God can do through them. We write off so many people in this life because we feel there's no way that God can do something with that. And we're missing it altogether. When Jesus told them we're going to go fish for people, he didn't put qualifications on it. He didn't put a standard list up to say this is what they have to meet in order to be in. No, he said we're just going to go fish. And we're going to see what we catch. That's the most important thing. So how do we do this? I'm going to walk you through this really quickly. Look, 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 love, listen, share, and invite. You don't have to do this in any certain order. This is just me kind of showing you maybe a very simple way because invitation, trust me, you invite people to things all the time. You just don't realize that you're doing it sometimes. Hey, you want to come over? We're going to watch the game this weekend. Hey, come to this concert this week. It's going to be great. This is that simple. Look around. They're not that far. The people we need to invite are probably right around us. But then the first thing is not right away to say, hey, you should show up to church. Maybe that's what God will prompt you to do. But the first thing often is to love them. They're not going to necessarily trust us right away until we, they know that we really care about who they are. Love them without exception. Show them the kind of Christ-like love that God gave to you. Then listen to their story. So often we want to lead with words. We want to say, hey, here's why you should show up. But listen to them. What's going on? Why is it that they're not a part of church? What's their church story? And then share your story because your story matters. You might think that you have to have some amazing, crazy, off-the-wall story with your experience with God. But no, the story that got you here tonight, as long and as whatever detail it is, that's your story. God gifted it to you. It is huge. It's the most amazing story ever told because it's yours. That's the story that we get to share. I just shared mine with you in very small pieces. That's the story you get to share with these folks. Hey, I used to be you know, somebody who didn't think church was for me. Then I showed up and you don't understand I'm a part of something bigger now. And then give them the invitation. And maybe not just once or twice or seven. It might take as many as 30 or 40 times inviting somebody before they trust you enough to come in. But the whole point is keep casting that net. Keep casting it out because we're a part of a bigger story here at Hope as, as all, all the churches here in West Des Moines and around the city of Des Moines and beyond. And we want heaven to be more crowded through us and through them. But it won't happen until we invite. We can't just open the doors up someday and say, gosh, I hope people show up today. We're here today on Sunday evening, but Monday is coming. And the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We are the workers. Why are we doing this? We don't have to look very far, even in this week, to see how broken and dark and desperate this world can seem. With the shooting in Florida, the earthquake in Mexico, and there's so many other countless stories. The evening news is just, frankly, getting so hard to watch because it seems like all we want to talk about is where bad stuff is happening. It's not that it is important to talk about but it just seems like it keeps hitting us. If there was ever a time for the story of God to break through, I believe it's now. And we are the vessels and how that can happen. Because there's a world out there that is crying out, desperate for a new way 
because the way that they've been living is not working for them. The way that they've been going along is just not measuring up. And we are the keepers of a new way because we've been set free by God ourselves. And it's just simply going out and sharing that story with them. You don't have to necessarily know everything that's in here. That's one of the reasons why I was so scared to go back to church because I thought I didn't know everything that was in this book and so how could they accept me? Truth be told, I'm 45 years old and I still have to sing the Old Testament song to figure out where some of the prophets are. I don't know them verbatim in order. I can't just say, well, it's Nehemiah. Okay, let's figure out where that is. I have to sing it in my head to figure out where he is in the Bible. <laughs> and I've been doing this for a while, okay? We're good. You're good right where you are. I'm not saying you shouldn't dig into this. You should. But you don't have to wait for that to do this invitational ministry. Because God's doing a work in and through you that can be so resonant for somebody else. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'm gonna make you a fisher of people. You have been called by the rabbi. You don't have to worry about being the best of the best. Every single one of you in this room have been invited to that exact same mission. Jesus started it with Simon and Andrew and he's continuing it in you. So let's go. Maybe there's somebody right now that God is laying in your heart. Gosh, I wish I would just invite them. I wish I could just, all right, let's go. Start thinking about, God, how can you work in and through me to invite? We've been trying to figure out ways, even around here at Hope, to get young families back in. And Pastor Mike had this crazy idea this week that I want to finish with tonight as the band comes back out. Something we're starting around here. I don't know if you've ever been to, there's a local establishment around here called Trader Joe's. I go there often, probably more than I should, although not as much lately. When you go in there, there's a stuffed pig that's in the store that the kids know to look for. And when you find Bacon is his name, you can go up to the cashiers and let them know where Bacon was and they'll give you a sucker. And so we thought, you know what? If it's good enough for TJ's, it's got to be good enough for the church. And so we have now friendly Jesus. We found a plush stuffed Jesus. Yep, I'm... Can't make this up. And every week during Lent when you come in to worship, he's going to be hiding somewhere in this room. And I'll give you a hint, kids. This week we're talking about Jesus calling some fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. So water might be involved. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. And what you need to do is after worship, Find out where he is, go and take a selfie or have your parents take a pic, take it back to the New to Hope area or somewhere out there to show them the pic and we got a little treat for you. And then a punch card. We so badly want kids and families to come and hear the good news at Hope that we want you to get this punch card. And if you're here every week for worship during Lent and you get that card punched, I don't know what it is yet. Mike's still trying to work on this grand prize that kids are going to get. But this is what we're going to do. And as I was watching uh, worship this morning online, preparing for tonight, one of the things that Mike said resonated with me. This can feel like a little bit of like a bait and switch. And yes, unashamedly so, it is. Because that's how important this is 
is that we're willing to try anything, almost anything, to get kids and families and people to come in to be a part of God's story. So who knows where this will go, but it's going to be kind of fun just to kind of try it out and see what God will do with it. Maybe for you, it's inviting your friends and saying, hey, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. The proceeds go to missions anyway, so why not? But let's go. Let's fish. And let's make heaven more crowded because we have a story to tell. Amen?